Again, I really like that line. These lessons that we learn might just be the first thing that we share because in these last two weeks and then continuing this week, we are focused on what this sharing looks like and how we encourage each other to be confident and to have what we call gospel conversations. Again, that's more insider language. We don't necessarily want you to go up to somebody and say, hey, can I have a gospel conversation with you today? Hey, maybe that'll work and that could in certain contexts. We want it to be a little bit more organic than that, but this is what we're talking about. We want to encourage you all of us, me included, to be having these. So we've given you a little bit of a prescriptive, you know, kind of a a way to go about this. And we started that conversation last week, looking at what were the first three steps and what having a gospel conversation might look like. And that first step is to listen, to be a great listener. And we talked about that that last week, about how important it is to listen to the other person uh, and their story and to invite them to tell you their story, whatever it may be. And second step is to, in a very uh, kind and humble way, to share your own story, to let them in uh, into your life and what uh, helps you tick and how God has uh, changed you, if you can get that far along. Now, again, these conversations don't usually happen in 10 minutes. We don't even recommend that they do. They take a while, and then you may not get to step three for some time. But step three is extremely important because for these to be gospel conversations, we must move to the point where we are sharing God's story. We are sharing the meta narrative of scripture that we looked at last February. If you can remember that long ago, I don't know if that seems like so long ago now, so much has happened, but we did. We spent four weeks looking at the grand story in the Bible and all that, you know, the, the, the story underneath the individual stories that exist and, and live in this, uh, in, in the Bible. And we need to be able to communicate that. That's a big part of what it looks like to have a gospel conversation, to move it into where you tell God's story. This fourth step we get into today is we burrow a little bit more deeply into God's story. And we share specifically the story of Jesus. We share Jesus's story. Now, I've been thinking a lot lately about well, I want us to be able to do this well. I want us to be able to share Jesus's story well. I want to, someone who preaches very regularly to be able to share it better than even I have. I want to continue to grow in my ability to communicate about Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and just how important it is to communicate what Jesus, what, who Jesus is. So I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus's story? Maybe better put, do you know Jesus? You know, we live in a town where there's a whole lot of famous people, right? And it is not uncommon to bump into some of these celebrities. I even think it's pretty cool that it's characteristic of our town for us to kind of, you know, let them be. They can move around and live with us and we can see them, even though we might recognize them and whisper to our friend or our spouse, uh, that is right over there, but... I have, uh, it has occurred to me that it is common for many of us, guilty, to embellish somewhat how much we might know some of these celebrities based on one or two interactions with them. I am, uh, I confess to you that I have told the story about when I ran into Keith Urban in the bathroom at the movie theater, you know, a hundred times in my life because it's cool to tell people that I've met Keith Urban because Keith Urban's cool. And it's cool that he looked over at me and said, hey, mate. And I just thought that was unbelievable that this Australian man said mate to me. 
It was awesome. I'm about to name drop here because another cool, one of the coolest of things that have ever happened to me is I got to play golf. I got to walk 18 holes with Vince Gill. I did. Aren't I cool? Uh, it, was, it was in college. It was way back when, and uh, I actually got to eat lunch with him after, and it was so cool. He, was, he could not have been a nicer guy. Vince Gill's the best. Uh, and then, you know, after that experience, I... I would see him at Belmont basketball games because he's a big Belmont fan. He and Coach Bird are close friends. And so he would be there, and I would, I would want to go talk to him. Or, and then even later, a few years after that, I would see him regularly at a local restaurant on the weekends that I would take the kids to. And he's apparently there, you know, because I would always see him, so he must always be there. And I would want to go up and talk to him, you know, and reminisce about our game of golf together. But I never did, giving him his... Uh, giving him his space, because uh, I don't know Vince Gill. A few hours with him 20 years ago did not make me his best friend, or even his friend, but it was a great morning. Do we know, do we really know Jesus? Now, I'm not trying to scare you this morning. I'm not trying to have you leave here in some kind of a crisis because you're wondering whether or not you really know Jesus. Not at all. We, we can't talk any more than we do about how this is a journey and there's nowhere where we're supposed to be on this journey with Jesus other than further along. So I don't want to cause you any strife about where you might be in your relationship with Jesus. I don't. But I do want to call attention to why and how it's so important for us to know him because I just can't escape the picture that our story here in Luke 24, we're in Luke 24, by the way. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, that's where we've been. So that's why I kind of took it for granted this morning. But if you're new, we're so glad you're here. And we've been looking at the story of uh, Jesus with Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. And we are looking at it again. And the picture that this story paints of these two men who were staunchly religious... They are well-versed, extremely well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures. They have been at Passover in Jerusalem for the prior week. They were leaving Passover, heading home, and they were talking, arguing, even the text tells us, about the events that had taken place during Passover. These were people that were tuned in to God's story. And our story teaches us that they misunderstood Jesus. They misunderstood the events during Passover. They were not clicking yet with Jesus's story, how it had come, how it culminated at the cross and these rumors surrounding his resurrection, which we know to have been true. Well, they weren't there yet. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How foolish. Oh, that's 21, Jay. Go back one more. Yeah, he said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, that's, that's quite an admonishment from Jesus, isn't it? That's tough right there. But it shows us how important it was for Cleopas and his friend to understand what was going on. And by extension, it shows us even today how important it is for us to know the story of Jesus. Hey, we can know it 
better and better, particularly if we have much experience following and being formed by Jesus. We can. There's great hope here, even though Cleopas and his friend weren't quite there yet. I want to go a little deeper with this. The heart of Jesus' story is forgiveness. It is. The world has gone awry. Okay? We don't have to look very far in any direction to see that brokenness abounds in the world. But what we have done as a church, I believe, as the church, is we've gotten really good at talking about this brokenness in the context of personal brokenness, individual sin, which is not wrong to do. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You don't have to look any further than my life to know that we slip up. We fall short of God's righteous demands. But I think the way we have told about this brokenness, how we have expressed it, has oftentimes stopped with it being personal, individual. That has been the extent, the totality of how we have explained Jesus' story. We, we, we learned and we perhaps teach it this way. I'm sinful. We are sinful. Jesus is not. Jesus died the death that we deserve. And because of this, and if we believe this, we will be saved and we will live with Jesus forever. Hey, that is all beautiful and true. But I believe it's important for us to realize it's not the totality of the story of Jesus. I think that we, I, have learned to communicate the story of Jesus oftentimes as being something that is purely transactional. Transactional, where we are this, we are broken, Jesus is this and did this, so that brokenness can be overcome. And that is true, and that is good. Look at verse 21. But we were hoping, Cleopas said, that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Right here in our translation that I'm using, the Christian Standard Bible, the word that is used here when Cleopas was describing what they had expected, what they had hoped for, it's even transactional language in our text. Redeem literally means to to buy back. So we see that present here in the way that Cleopas is describing what he was expecting, what we, by extension, know to be true and are experiencing. But I believe the story of Jesus does not stop with being transactional. It is bigger. It is more robust. To believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, is transformational. It is not just transactional. It is transformational. And I think this is important for us. It's important for me to realize that while forgiveness is, is real, it is so important. It has made us right with God through Jesus' blood that we just sang about. 
we are we're called to live like we're saved. Here's what I mean. It has become common. I've, I've, I hear it a lot that we are saved, that this world is bad, and we are biding our time until Jesus returns, and then everything will be okay. But the story of Jesus teaches us something different. This world matters. Anyone that Keith was just referencing throughout the entire world that is yet to come to faith in Jesus, who's yet to make a decision to follow and be formed by Jesus, is worth being sought after, is worth being reached. And what we know about Jesus because of the scriptures is that his resurrection is when this project began. This project that was set forth to reclaim all that is, to redeem all there is, to restore all there is. And it has already begun. That is what God's kingdom coming looks like. Cleopas and his friend, what they were hoping for was that Christ was going to come and redeem everything. As we talked a couple of weeks ago, they expected that to be more military-ish than it was, that Jesus would come in and kick bottoms and take names. But that's not how it was to be. But it was that Jesus is restoring all things. And y'all, when you know Jesus, when you follow Christ, when you sign up to follow and be formed by him, you are signing up to participate in this grand reclamation Project. You are signing up to participate in the mission of God in the world that is already going forth. And the beauty is that we can truly know that this is not a, a, a job that we're signing up for that is, 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 it causes us to be sour or tired all the time or upset that we have to do it. But it does allow for joy that we get to participate with God in the ongoing creation of the world. I hope that you're tracking with me because this is giving me life these days to try to figure out ways to explain this well. You are not set apart just to be with Jesus someday. You're a child of God and you are already with him. Eternal life is now and you are partnering with God to help make this place more like God intends for it to be. That has to be part of how we communicate Jesus' story to those who do not yet know it. And it's a whole lot more compelling of a vision, in my opinion, than to just focus in on biding our time until Jesus returns. It's a process to follow and be formed by Jesus. It's a process, and it's not something that was ever intended to be done alone. And that brings us to our fifth step in our uh, encouragement on how we might have these gospel conversations, is that we would walk alongside our new friend whom we are talking with, right? That we would join them. And, and this is couched in what we're trying to do together anyway, because we are all walking alongside one another. We are in this all together. It's a process. 
It takes work. Do you remember the name Chesley Sullenberger? Sully for short. Sully uh, was a captain. Uh, he was a, a pilot um, for U.S. Air. And he was piloting the plane back in 2009 that it either took off from New York or it was flying over New York. But as it was flying over New York, a flock of birds flew into both engines and took them both out. You remember this? They made a movie out of it. Tom Hanks played Sully. Anyway, it's an incredible story. And he, he took this plane without any engines, and he successfully navigated landing it in the Hudson River. You can see it right there in the river, and all 155 passengers made it out alive. Can you believe that? It was incredible. Now, I first heard this story used in an illustration in a sermon that was about Christian character. And specifically about Christian character being um, a virtue, something that is honed, that is practiced, that, that takes time to, to fashion. Perhaps you've heard that, you know, for any endeavor, for any uh, thing we put our mind to, you need 10,000 hours in order to achieve mastery of that. Well, Sully had that and then some flying a plane. His training and his experience, it was way more than 10,000 hours. And in that moment, when the engines went out and he had to think quickly and do everything right in that moment, he successfully did it. And his training kicked in and he navigated that landing into the river and saved every life. I'm here to tell you that our relationship with Jesus, following and being formed by him, and with one another, it is like this. It takes time, patience, practice, conditioning, if you will. And we've got to do it together. That's how it's meant to be done. Did you know that the word you, Y-O-U, the vast majority of the time that it occurs in the New Testament, that it shows up, it is plural. It's plural. Because the New Testament writers were addressing the church, plural. We were never meant ever to go at this alone. It is a process, and there's always deeper to go. There's always more to learn. Where does our story go from here? Well, look at verse 28. As Jesus and Cleopas and his friend were walking from Emmaus, the text says they came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in, he went in to stay with them. So they didn't want him to leave. Now understand, in this story, they still didn't recognize who he was, but they were so compelled by the story he was telling them and explaining the scriptures to them. They were having so much of a good time with him and helping them see the events during Passover differently and opening their eyes up a process to see what maybe they had missed. They invited him to stay with them. And so they did. They went either to their home or to the place where they were staying. If they were still traveling, it's not clear, but Jesus did. And so to go with them for the evening it lands Jesus at the table with them. They end up there for dinner. And we today are gathering around the table. Maybe you 
saw the tables as you came in. We didn't um, remind you early in the service to pick up the elements, because, so don't worry if you didn't, but we will give you a moment and a few moments to go get them. If you follow Christ, we hope that you will participate with us uh, in the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. But that's where they ended up with Jesus. And the last time we did this together was, was Palm Sunday a few weeks ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm remembering Pastor Mike Glenn's sermon from that day because it was, uh, it was really good. And the illustration that he used was when you have dinner with someone, when you invite someone to have dinner at your house, that is evidence that it's, it's getting serious. Like this, this is significant. This matters. And we have that desire in the Owen house. I, I, want, I want our mealtimes to be special, even when they're just uh, our family eating. But I'm sad to say if you came over on any particular evening, uh, you wouldn't necessarily see a holy dinner. <laughs> particularly on Thursday evenings when the kids have been in school for, for four days and dinner inevitably happens around the time that are the witching hours. Leslie Ann's taught me. I didn't know about this until we had children and, and particularly when we had a dog. And Annie, the dog, just won't shut up around 6 o'clock and she just keeps barking and barking and we can't figure out why. And <laughs> the kids are at each other and Hattie's not a baby anymore and she's not taking any of the boys' shenanigans and She's fighting Lewis tooth and nail. She's learned to punch. She's learned to pinch. And there's never a dull moment. So, yeah, it might not look particularly holy if you drop in at our house. But that doesn't mean we don't desire for it to be. Because those moments are holy. And they can be. And in verse 30... The text says, It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread. He blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. It was when Jesus took the bread, he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, that their eyes were opened. And, and, and what I believe was stirring in them that caused them to invite him to dinner and the, the questions they had, the way they were intrigued at that moment, their eyes saw what they had previously failed to understand. And they realized who they had been with. They realized who they were with. And he was gone. But he did not leave them without them knowing what they'd experienced. Jesus was with them at the table. And I'm here to tell you that he is with us here this morning as we gather around the table. So we're going to take a few moments together. Some of it will be silence. Uh, Marty will play through 
most of it or all of it, but we are going to find some space to be together around the table for Christ is here with us. If you've gotten the elements, that is just fine. You are ready. Sit there and pray. Imagine that Christ is with you. If you have yet to grab them, take some time in these next few moments. There are tables all along the back of the room. Let's be silent, prayerful, and hopeful together for what Christ is doing, for what Christ has done. For he is with us at the table.